0: Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. Morning. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation 5. Revelation 5 is where we're going to be this week. I'm not sure how many of you heard of the podcast this week, but one of the things that I tried to do was give a little bit of the background story of uh, our vision that we're going to be sharing uh, this morning. And and it really started about two years ago. We were just, I'm not sure how many of us remember, but it was towards the tail end of the, the intensity of COVID, how it kind of... Really swept through our nation, our lives for about two years, and in the fall, about November of 2021, the elders uh, we came together and said, "You know, we what we need is just God. What do you want from our church? We've been through a lot. We've been through a leadership change. We've been through this global pandemic, and there's been so much turmoil. But what is what is driving us? What's going to be our true north from here on out?" We spent 40 days praying and fasting, saying, "God, what do you want from us? What do you want for this church?" And over the course of the next few weeks at our elder retreat, God made this vision clear. And you might be saying, well, if this became clear, you know, almost two years ago, why are we just hearing about it now? Well, the reason why is because we wanted to make sure, and I shared this in the podcast, that we were living this, that this was some, something in our lives. We weren't going to share something with you that we said, hey, you go do this. We, wanted, we want to invite you into something that is already happening. It's happening at, at a very basic level with our elders and our staff and, and people who are picking up here and there. And last year, you heard me talk about evangelism and prayer and how that's the, really plowing the ground for this vision. And so when, when I think about this vision statement, uh, I've, sh- I've shared this statement prior, and I'm going to say it again. The, the issue is not whether or not a church has a vision statement. The issue is whether or not God's vision has a church. That's what's most important. You see... Vision statements didn't used to, I mean, most companies never used to have vision statements. Churches didn't used to not have vision statements. These were, these were a kind of a, a rising fad in the, in the mid-20th century, 1950s. Companies started to adopt these vision statements. This is who we are. This is our purpose. This is what we want to accomplish. This is what we want to do. And typically, like most American uh, things, we as the church adopted a lot of business practices, some for good, some for bad. But there are certain things that we started doing, and churches started to adopting these vision statements. And there's nothing wrong with vision statements. In fact, we're going to have a vision statement this morning. But here's the thing that I think we can get lost in all of this vision talk, is that if if our vision, if the vision of our church and the vision of our lives does not align with God's vision, then it's a faulty vision. And so in Revelation chapter 5, we're going to read what God's vision is for this earth, for his creation, for, for what, he has, what he has done from the very beginning to, to the end of all days. This is what God wants. And so we're going to pick it up in Revelation chapter 5. And in, chapter, in chapters 4 and 5 in Revelation, you have this, you have this throne room of heaven seen where John is transported and he sees this worship service taking place. In the midst of this worship service, there are these scrolls that are presented. And if, and if you remember our series in Daniel last year, these scrolls are, are, were given to Daniel and they were sealed for this final revelation. Well, now it's the, the final revelation and they're saying, who can unseal these things? And the only one that can unseal the scrolls is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ and he unseals these these this scroll and and be, after he he unveils this after he unseals it you see the these worshipers in heaven crying out look at verse 9 and they sang a new song saying worthy are you Jesus to take the scrolls and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God From every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Right there, verses 9 and 10, what you see here, this is what Jesus came to accomplish, and this is what God has always wanted. And because this is what he's after and this is what God wanted, look what happens verse 11 and 12. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. That's like, I can't picture how many numbers of people that there are here. But he says, and they shouted with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. In verse 13, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Guys, this is God's vision, God's vision for every nation, God's vision for every creature to come to him and to recognize him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And God, this this isn't a vision that just reveals at the end of all things, because we know Revelation is the last book that was written. This is a vision that we see from the very beginning, from the first pages of God's word. And I want you to see how this God's vision has never changed. It's ne- what God has wanted on this earth has never changed from the beginning of creation. When God created the world all the way back in Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And we see from the very beginning God creates this world and this universe and he fills it. He fills it with trees and, and nature and animals. But at the apex of his creation he creates man and woman humankind to to reflect his image to be in his likeness to be his representatives on this earth and he gives them a commission he says i want you to be fruitful and multiply see from the very beginning what god has wanted is people to represent him and to partner with him to do what he wants on this earth And so he gives this commission, he gives this calling to Adam and Eve, but we know how the story goes. Adam and Eve fall away. They instead say, God, I don't want what you want, I don't want to partner with you, and I don't want to represent you, I want what I want in life. Then they rebel and they fall away, and the curse of sin and the curse of death enter into our world. And so what happens is you see in the first few chapters of the Bible, people falling away. And the sin and the corruption and the selfishness gets so bad that God has to bring judgment on this earth. And he brings judgment, but he saves one family out of this godly line from Adam. And from Adam, this family, from Noah, who's this leader, he, he saves him on a boat and with the animals and, and to, to, to have this great reset. And after the flood and after he kills all the wickedness and the sinful people on this earth, he, he lets them out of the ark. And it's this new opportunity for God, again, to partner with a new family. And so he tells Noah the very same thing he told Abba and Eve. You know, Be fruitful and multiply. I want to partner with you. I want you to represent me here on this earth. But Noah does not do that. And again, man falls away. And what we see is, in the few chapters later, the Tower of Babel, where people are saying, no, we want to make a name for ourselves. Instead of multiplying and filling the earth and partnering with God, we want to do something for us We want our our name to be in lights. And so God says, no, this is not how this is going to work. And so he scatters the nations, and he hands over the nations to the other spirit rulers of this world and says, you take them from yourselves. They do not want to follow me. But God chose one man, one man again to partner with him and to represent him. And that man's name was Abram. And he takes Abram out of his land he says i want to bless you i want to i want to make you into a great nation and through you and through your nation i'm going to bless all creation he makes a covenant with abraham he says i want you to partner with me and represent me and so abraham how does he do not so well. How does Isaac, his son, do? Not so well. How about Jacob, his son, after him? Three generations, the patriarchs of the faith. They, they sometimes partner with God, and they sometimes represent him, but over and over and again, they keep failing. They keep doing what they want to do. They keep corrupting what God wants. Well, jo- Jacob has 12 sons, and one of his sons, his name is Joseph. And Joseph is someone who's sold into slavery, And when he goes into slavery, he meets God in a very supernatural way because he is one that decides to partner and represent God better than anyone we see. And and God calls him, and he lives this righteous life. He represents God even in the midst of slavery and even in the midst of jail. He partners with God. And because of God, part, him partnering with God and representing God, God elevates him in Egypt. And he saves the world through, through his plan of, of rescuing these people from the famine. And so Jacob's family comes down. And even though Jacob has partnered with God, and even though he has been through suffering, even though he has represented him well, at the end of Jacob's life, he falls away and dies. You know Why? Because of the, the curse of sin and death. You see, in the beginning, God created Genesis 1:1. And the last verse in Genesis is, and then they buried Joseph. Sin and death. It doesn't matter how well we partner and represent God, death is there to defeat us, or sin is there to take us away. And so we see God again, this, this family that comes down to Egypt, they become this great nation and they go, they become oppressed. And they, they are oppressed, and they cry out to God, and God remembers what that these are his people. And so he raises up a leader named Moses, and he tells Moses, Moses, I want to partner with you, and I want you to represent me, and I want these people to represent me in the whole world, I want you to go down there and deliver them. And so he goes there, and he delivers them through mighty deeds and mighty acts. God does these amazing things to show not just his people, but the world. He is God over all gods, over all people, And so God rescues and redeems his people from slavery. He rescues them and delivers them through the Red Sea. And at the Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, God is going to make them a covenant. And he says, I want you to be my people, and I want me to be your God. And these people hear the voice of God, and they agree. They say, we will be your people. We we will be the priests. We will be the light of the world to the nations around us. God calls them to, to himself to partner with him and represent him, and they agree to do it. But the problem is, in the heart of man is our selfishness, our pride. And within days of this commitment of seeing God and hearing God and making a commitment with God, the nation of Israel falls away, and they start worshiping a statue of a golden calf. And, And God, once again, has to tell Moses that these people are rebelling against me. He brings them even to the promised land, and they rebel and say, we don't want you, God. It's a generation of people that that rejected God's partnership and his representation, but God is faithful. God is always faithful and he leads them through the wilderness for 40 years and then he calls them back into the land and he leads them to a conquest and they conquer the land. But even when they conquer the land to partner with him and to represent him to to the nations, instead of driving out the nations, they become like the nations. And over and over again, they start worshiping other gods and God has to rescue them from themselves over and over and over again until finally they ask for a king because they want a representation of themselves. God hands them over to this desire, gives them a king, but the first king, Saul, is not a good representation of who God is. He's not a good partner with God. So God raises up another man, another man who is a man after God's own heart, and he decides to represent God and to partner with God in an amazing way. And so God anoints him and calls him to be his king, and so God elevates him to be the king of of Israel, and he partners with God and represents God so well But there's, and so God makes a covenant with David and says, David, I want you. I'm going to bless all the nations through you, through you. There's going to be someone that comes from your family line that will be the ruler over the entire world. And so David's like, this is awesome. Again, another covenant agreement. And right after David makes his covenant agreement, what does he do? Falls away. Sin of Bathsheba. We see this over and over and over again. And so what happens is through the, the hundreds of years of the kingship, we see this, the, 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 the nation divide. The family of the, the Judah, the tribe of David, follows the, the line of David. The northern tribes follow their own way. And over hundreds of years, the, the northern tribes fall away. They refuse to worship God. They worship false gods. God puts them into exile. And for the southern tribes, they're, they're, God raises up kings and priests and prophets over and over again. for for almost 500 years, calling them back to who they were, calling them back to say, would you represent me to the world? Would you partner with me to be a light to the nations? And they might do it half-heartedly, might do it occasionally, but over and over again, the sin and the corruption of humankind gets in the way, and they reject God, and it happens so often until finally God sends them into exile for 70 years to, to, to punish them and to show them that, that they're, not do, they're not doing the things that they were called to do. God has made a promise. He's made covenants. He's made he's desires saying, I'm going to do something in this earth. And so in the midst of all of this turmoil, God sends promises through his prophets to say, there will be a day when someone comes, the chosen one, the Messiah, to make all things new, to make all things right. And so after the 70 years, God raises up some other leaders, Ezra, Nehemiah, one a, one a political leader, one a, one a spiritual leader. And they partner with God. They represent God. They do it for a season, but it doesn't last. Again, because they pass away. And the people continue to struggle with sin. And so God, through his last prophets, is, is foretelling of what's going to happen. And then 400 years of silence. 400 years. No prophet. No priest, no king can speak and say, thus says the Lord. And in that 400 years, God waits for human history to converge so that there are roads. and There's an empire that that takes over the the known world. And there are roads that, that connect Africa to Europe to Asia. And in this moment, God knows that we always fail him as many times he draws us close to him, to, to invite us in to represent him and partner with him, we always reject it. And so God sends his son, Jesus, to, part, to be the ultimate partner, to be the ultimate representation of what God has always wanted, a people set aside, set, aside, set apart for him, to, to represent him, to be fruitful and multiply across this earth to spread his goodness and love and mercy and kindness and power to restore all things the way that should have been from the very beginning. And so Jesus comes. Jesus, the, 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 very, the very God of gods, he is, he, is, he is God in the flesh. And though he is deity, he takes on humanity. He becomes the new Adam. He becomes someone who is not born of man because he is born of a virgin. And he faced the temptation like Adam, not in a garden, but in a wilderness. And not one time, but three times. And in that moment, he is able, as the new Adam, to, to reject what, how we have failed Jesus is able to, f- to overcome the sin of Adam, and he's able to fulfill perfectly the covenant that God gave Moses to the nation of Israel on Mount Sinai, his perfect law. Jesus fulfills the law. He passes the test of temptation. Jesus fulfills every prophecy that was given about the, the, the coming Messiah. And Jesus comes, and he starts announcing that he has come to bring a new kingdom, and he starts inviting people into this kingdom to say, hey, will you represent and partner with me for God? And he starts collecting people. He starts healing people and setting people free. He gives people a taste of what this kingdom is like, a kingdom of salvation, a kingdom of deliverance, a kingdom of power, a kingdom of presence. And he's inviting people into this, into this opportunity. And some people stay, some people leave. But but what he finds is there, there are people that he has these 12 disciples that he shows what it's like to partner with him and to represent him to the world. And these 12, even out of the 12, one betrays him and falls away. In the midst of Jesus declaring this kingdom, this new government, this new way of living and thinking and operating, the governmental leaders and the religious leaders hate this. Because what they own and what they have is coming under threat. And so they, so they attack Jesus. And they arrest him, they crucify him, and they kill him. But yet at the cross, crucifying Jesus, Jesus does something in that moment. Because the very thing that keeps overcoming us as humankind, our sin, our, our rebellion, The curse of death, the physical ailment that sin brings. The spiritual forces of darkness that are attacking us and that tempt us. That in that moment at the cross, Jesus pays for the curse. He he becomes the curse for us. He becomes sin for us. He takes on the sins of every human being and he takes it on himself. And Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. He takes the punishment. And he dies the death that you and I deserve. But the thing about Jesus is that because he fulfilled it all, death could not hold him. And he rose from the dead. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He conquered the evil forces that, 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 that conquer us, that oversee us, oversee the world. And in that moment, Jesus now is be able to say, no, what I have done is I've been able to make all things new. I have partnered with God the Father in a way that no one else has. I represented humanity the way no one else has. And now, as he tells his disciples, all authority has been, and from heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go make disciples. I want you to represent me. I want you to represent me in my holiness. I want you to represent me in my love. I want you to re- represent me in my compassion in my mercy, in my grace, in my justice. I want you to walk around as if Jesus walked around. I want you to represent me perfectly, and I want you to partner with me. I want you to tell every person. I want you to make disciples of all nations. I want everyone to hear about my name. I want everyone to know about the good news that I have paid the penalty for sin. I've conquered sin and death. They don't have to be in bondage anymore. You go in this power. You go in this commission. And you go make disciples. And so his disciples go and they wait, and the Holy Spirit comes, the helper that Jesus promised him. And it says, and, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we see in the book of Acts, the church explode. Because now we see people that are empowered with God himself, God the Spirit living inside of us, so that we can partner, so that we can represent God in a way that no one else could prior to this. And so what we see in the the early stages of the church is this church spreading, overcoming sin, overcoming darkness. And over the the course of of the letters of the New Testament, we see these instructions of how to partner with God, how to represent God. This is how you represent God. Here's how you have to live a holy, sacred life to the Lord. And here's how you partner with him. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. You are ambassadors for Christ. You are a living sacrifice. Over and over again, the letters of of Paul and Peter and John remind us of who we are, our calling to represent God and to, to partner with him to make disciples of all nations. And it ends here in this statement that what God has wanted, he has always wanted This is, number one, the biblical mandate. The reason for this vision that we're going to share with you is not because we called a consultant. It's not because we we try to figure out something that would sound catchy today. The vision we're going to share this morning comes from the heart of God see what we find ourselves living in today we live in between Matthew 28 the great commission where he says go as my disciples and make go and make disciples of all nations we live in between Matthew 28 and Revelation chapter 5 when it says, I want every nation, every tribe, every tongue. I want every creature in heaven and on earth and in the sea. And on, I want all creation. I want them to come to me and to worship me and to know me. This is what God has wanted. We have a biblical mandate before us. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Are we, are you and I, are we partnering with God in our lives? Or are are we representing God in our lives? Or are we falling away like so many others have and saying, nope, I'm going to do my own thing. So we have a biblical mandate for this vision. We also have, number two, we have a cultural reality. We have a cultural reality that we're living in here, 2023, Lake Norman. We live in a community of 250,000 people. And, and it keeps growing. People keep moving here. Praise God for that. But here's the cultural reality we find ourselves in today. And that is this In the last 25 years, I would even say since 2000, since 2000, what we could say. Is that 40 million people have left the church. Forty million people that used to attend church 20, 25 years ago are sitting at home this morning. That we, we are in the third there, there's been three great movements of, of religion or of spirituality in our nation. The first happened with the Great Awakening. happened in the 1700s. There was another movement that happened in the, in the 19th century, in the 1800s, where we saw incredible growth and increase of the Christian faith amongst the populace of our nation. And now we are seeing we are living in the season. We are living in a time when people are, are rejecting God, where secularism is increasing, and people are walking away from the faith. And the reason why that is happening Is because there's not enough partners and not enough representatives of Jesus Christ uh, in our nation, in our towns, in our families, they're saying, things have got to change. And so people are walking away. That 40 million, that, that sounds like a big number, but the reality is, every one of us in this room, there's people that we know. We could name names, they're family members, they're friends. They're, they're, they're people that, that we used to worship with, sit with, even in rooms like this, and they no longer wake up on a Sunday morning coming to church. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I'm not going to get into it. But the reality is we are losing ground. And because we are losing ground, the church, the, the last 40 years, how have we responded, how have we responded to this reality? Well, we haven't responded the way, the way that God expects us to, to represent him and partner with him what we have turned church into is i believe that we most christians have turned church into three things because of the rise of secularism and because of what's happening in our world i think three there's three pictures of church that i think resonate with a lot of people of how they treat church and how they look at church the first one is this they treat church like a bunker you know the world out there is bad and we've got to, it's really bad. We've got, to, we've got to, you know, hide away. This is our one time in, or a couple times a week where the world out there is so bad and evil and I've got, to, I've got to separate myself and this is our nice little Christian community where I don't have to worry about woke or, or bad or evil or sinfulness and I can just come here and I can cloister myself in and I can find just, ah, oh, I'm safe. God did not create the church to be a bunker. The, 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 other thing, the other thing that we have as Christians have made the church into is we've made the church into a cruise ship. You know, we see the world out there having all this fun, and we say, you know, we want to have fun too. And so what we've done is we've, t- we've changed the church and said, you know, we want to be able to have as much fun as the world, but can you Christianize what the world does so that we can just enjoy our little time? And so, so, do we have enough events? Do we have enough things for people to do? And, and maybe even compromise some of the things that we should be doing for the sake of, we just want people to have a good time at church. That's not, God did not create the church to be a cruise ship. The last thing that, the last reality that, that the church has done is, is we, have, we have changed the church into a gas station. You know, instead of partnering with God and representing God, we, we just simply want to live our lives, but we know Jesus is good, and we know Jesus is important. And so you know what we need? We need our little Jesus juice every, every week, and so I'm going to live my life how I want to Monday through Saturday, but I'll, God, I'll give you a couple hours on Sunday morning, and I'll show up, and I'll, and I'll go there, and I'll sing some songs, and hopefully my kids will get some Jesus juice to fix them, and then we'll go on our way. We'll live our life and I will go to, the, be- I will go to the, the most convenient, cheapest gas I can go to that will fit my life. So I don't, I, don't, I don't mind moving from church to church that fits my style of life. See, God did not create the church to be a bunker, to be a cruise ship, or to be a gas station. What I believe God created the church to be was so much more. He created us to be a people that would represent him collectively, and to partner with him in this earth and in our towns to equip us, to teach us, to prepare us for the world, to show them that Jesus has risen from the dead, to tell them of the good news that they're waiting to hear. This is what our world needs to see. I believe I believe one of the greatest problems we have in the North American church today is that we have traded, we have traded the power of God to impress man. We, 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 there's no power anymore in our preaching. There's no power anymore in our singing. There's no power anymore in our lives. There's no presence or power of God in the church today. Because we have believed if we can impress people with our singing and we can impress people with our preaching and we can impress enough people to like us, then we will draw someone. Jesus was never bothered by gathering a crowd. He never worried about that. Jesus always led with his love and he led with his power. And we have the opportunity today. Listen, we have been given the same gifts as Jesus has given. And we have the love of God and we have the power of God. And this is what the world is waiting to hear. The good news of Jesus. And so even though we have this biblical mandate, we have this cultural reality, lastly, we have, we have our opportunity. We have our opportunity. And what is our opportunity? Our opportunity... Is that, that we at Life Fellowship, what, we're gonna, what we are going to do is that we have the opportunity to make sure that every man, woman, and child in Lake Norman and beyond has the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus. That is our vision. And that's not a vision that comes from our own thoughts, our own hearts, our own minds, our own strategies. As you can tell, that is a vision that comes from God's heart. God is a God of every. What, what, what do we see here in Revelation chapter 5? It says, worthy are you to take up the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language, and people, and nation. Verse 13, and I heard every creature in heaven on earth, God is a God of every. God cares about every soul. He cares about every man, woman, and child that lives in Lake Norman. He cares about every man, woman, and child. He cares about the seven billion people that live, plus billion people that live on this earth. But here's what we know, that every man, woman, and child, we are not responsible to save every man, woman, and child. That the work of salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. When we, partner, when we partner with God and we represent God and we declare the good news of Jesus, we take our calling and our identity seriously. That we trust that when we declare the name of Jesus and we shine the like, love of Jesus on those around us, that the Spirit of God will work to call those whom he has called. And that is, that's our response. We are not responsible to save every person. We are responsible to tell every person. That's our responsibility. And so this is our, this, this is the vision that has captivated our hearts as leaders, as elders. This is, this is the vision that we're bringing to you to say, we're asking you to, to, to join us That this wouldn't just be the church's vision. This is the vision for all of us, for for your life and mine. That God has put us here because Jesus is worthy of every creature to worship him. And every person, every man, woman, and child in Lake Norman and beyond Lake Norman needs to hear the name of Jesus and needs to hear the good news of Jesus. That's why we're here. You know, one of the things that we did a few uh, years ago is we sat in a room and we just dreamed of what it would look like by 2030, if we at, as this church really lived this out, what would happen? What would happen? And again, I, I, I can only imagine, I can just share with you some things that my hopes and dreams are. But you know what I, what I hope is if we take this seriously, if you, join in, if you join us in this vision, this mission, then what's going to happen is God is going to move because I believe that, that when, when God's people connect with God's vision and, and are filled with God's spirit to represent and to share pe- with people that God's good news, God will move. I really believe that. But you know what I, you know I envision? I would love by 2030 that we have our baptismal setup every week and we can't take it down. That's what I would love. I would, lo- I would love to stop saying we're going to have baptism Sundays and that every Sunday is a baptism Sunday. That's what I want to see. You know, you know what would be amazing? By 2030, that that these that the churches in this area are partnering together and we are we are praying over every single family by name in Lake Norman. What if we did that every year? What what if what if there were dozens of churches? Listen, when I moved here in 2006 to Planet Church in Denver, I moved to, I moved to Lake Norman area in 2006, and in two, from 2006 to 2010, I could not tell you how many times we'd see new banners up for new churches all the time. New church, new church. And I barely see banners for new churches anymore. What if we could start seeing dozens of new churches started every single year? What if, what if, what if by 2030 there was a Bible study in every apartment complex, every school, in every neighborhood in Lake Norman? So much so that with it there would be with there would be for every man, woman, and child in Lake Norman, there would be a Bible study within walking distance of where they live. See, these are the kinds of things that can happen. These are the kinds of opportunities that wait before us. But here's the thing. Here's what I love about this vision. You know what I love about this vision? We can't do it on our own. Isn't it awesome? I mean, when you have a vision for every man, woman, and child, here's the thing you've got to realize. You and I, we can't do it. Even in our church, even if our church doubled in size, if our church tripled in size, we could not do this on our own. And that's what I love about this vision, because you know what this vision will drive us to? This dr- vision will drive us to our knees because we need God to do this vision. This is too big for us. It's, it's, it, it's, it's so large that there's no, there's no way that we as human beings can strategize, can plan enough, can, can fund this enough to actually make this happen. This If this is going to take place, it's going to take place because the Spirit of God works and moves. And The other reason I love this vision is because we can't do it on our own. Life Fellowship cannot do this on our own. We're going to have to start collaborating and partnering with ministries and churches all across Lake Norman because I'm so sick of, of people wearing their church jersey and not their Jesus jersey. Stop recruiting. We've got to stop recruiting from church to church to church, and we've got to start reaching the lost. That's what we need to start doing. And so what, we, what, what I'm hoping and praying for is that the churches of Lake Norman can begin to collaborate in such a way that we start working together because here's what I know. I, I believe God would be against a church accomplishing this vision because one singular church that would try to accomplish this vision would get a lot of glory and Jesus is interested in his glory alone. And But with multiple churches and multiple ministries are after this and we see God's spirit start to move. What I'm praying and what I'm hoping for is that we can't point to one thing and say, oh look, it's this. It's this. I have a couple, few questions for you, and then we're done. First question is this. Whose story are you going to live in? Whose story are you going to live in? I just shared with you the grand story of Scripture. The, the, the story I share with you about the biblical mandate, this is the story of God's Word. This is the reality of what, from the moment of creation to the end of all time, God is after something. There is a grand narrative to all, to all of this. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we living in the grand story or are we living for our story? Am I living for my own life, doing my own thing after my goals in life? And, and we can do, even as followers of Jesus, we can fool ourselves in saying, I'm going, Jesus, I need you to bless my life so I can live my life the way I want to live. You know, one of the things that we have done is we have changed the old vision statement, pursuing at all costs a passionate God-centered life, to our mission statement. And the difference between a vision statement and a mission statement is this. A vision statement is something so big and so huge that it's going to require, it's, it's years down the road. But it's the big picture. It's the thing that we're totally after. But the mission statement is what we have to do on a regular basis, day-by-day basis, to make that happen. And so what in order to make every man, woman, and child possible? We have to make sure that each and every one individual individual lives are pursuing, at all costs, a passionate God-centered life. If we are not doing that, we will not see every man, woman, and child hear and respond to the gospel. And so there's, we have to ask ourselves the story we're living in. Is the story you're living, is it you or is it God's? Are you joining with God in his story? Second question is this, how will you respond to our calling in our identity? How will you respond to our calling in our identity? You know, Jesus, what Jesus wants from you, Jesus wants to partner with you. Jesus wants you to represent Him. And He has given you gifts and abilities and talents to do that. He has placed you in the neighborhood where you live. He has given you the job that you have. He has given you the, the people around, the neighbors that you have. He has given you the family that you Everything about your life is divinely orchestrated by God so that you would represent Him and partner with Him where you live where you learn, where you work, where you play, everything, your circle of influence, your circle of your life, God has placed you there for a reason. He has called you there for a reason. There's not one mistake, in, there's not one circumstance in your life that is just haphazardly happening. No, God is over you. And if he has called you into his family, what he's given to you is a calling and identity to partner with him and to represent him. What are you doing with that calling? What are you doing with that identity? You see, instead of a bunker, instead of a cruise ship, instead of a gas station, what I want this church, what I want Sunday mornings to be, is I want it to be a locker room. What do you mean a locker room? Not a smelly one, okay? Because at a sport, I love sports. I, I love it. It doesn't matter how good your team has done at halftime. You've got to go into the locker room, and you're going to get the game plan. And you're going to evaluate how well we play first half. What adjustments do we have to make? That's the kind of church we want this to be. We want this to be a locker room church every Sunday where we come in here and we hear, okay, this is how this last week went. What's the word from the Lord that we need to get to go out there and live it again? That we're not cloistering. That we're not just entertaining. We do not exist for ourselves. This church does not exist for you. It exists for God and exists for the world. And that's how we need to start seeing it. Number three, what's next? What's next? There are some things that we're going to call you to. For the next four months, we have planned out some very spe- specific things that we are going to do to make sure that we are aligning under this vision because, listen, this you're going to start hearing every man, woman, child, not just for Vision Sunday, but every Sunday. And for the next five weeks following this week, we are going to take this idea of gospel saturation, saturating the gospel to every man, woman, and child. And how does that, what does that look like with our mission statement? What does this look like for the L, the I, the F, and the E? Who we are at life. But the first thing that we've got to do is this. We've got to consecrate ourselves. If we are going to represent Him, there are some things in our lives that must change. My first call to you, and Dan's going to be preaching on this next week. We have got to start putting away, we've got to start, stop flirting with sin. We've got to stop, you know, living our own lives. We've got to start sanctifying our lives in a way and saying, God, I, I'm putting away these, these distractions. I'm putting away these things that, that keep tripping me up. Because God, what I, I want to want what you want. I'm not, I'm not ready to do this. With There's some, there's some internal working. I want to partner with you, God. I want to go with you. i want to run with you. But I got to first spend some time with you. And there's some things in all of our lives that need some adjustment. Because what has brought us up to this point will not lead us to what our ultimate vision. There's some, there's some changes that we've got to go through. There's some change that the Holy Spirit might be convicting you of right now. Of saying, this is an area in your life where you do not represent me. And This is the reason why you, why you can't partner with me, because there's these idols and loves of the sin and the flesh that keep taking you away from me. We've got to consecrate ourselves like we've never have before. Number two, commitment. We're going to need a greater level of commitment, a greater level of commitment, not, not, not necessarily to the church, but yes, to this church, yes but a greater level of commitment to our identity and our calling to God. That, that we are called. Listen, when I, when I talk about this vision to every man, woman, and child, I'm not talking about make turning everyone into a Jesus salesman. It's not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for Jesus salesmen. I'm looking for people. What God is looking for is people who will be people who will bless others. Jesus wants blessers. So after we're done with this series, what we're going to do is we're going to preach a sermon series on our bless strategy, because I believe Jesus lived out, Jesus was a person of blessing, and he modeled this light of the world to bless all others. And so we're going to look through what it's like to live a life of blessing, and you know, beginning with prayer, listening to others, eating, exercising, engaging with others serving others, and then sharing Jesus. We want, you, we want to train and equip you and, and help you learn how to be a blessing to every person that's in your life. That through a life of blessing, you will be able to share Jesus with every man, woman, and child in your life. But it's going to take a commitment. A commitment from you and from me and from all of us that we are not just going to play church on Sunday but that we are going to represent Jesus every day of the week. Number three, we are going to commit ourselves for the first 21 days of January to 21 days of prayer. There's a book that we're going to hand out next month, and we are going to be joining with 500 churches across the nation, 500 plus, it keeps growing. And we're going to start 2024 with 21 days of prayer, consecutive prayer and we're going to pray through through the, we're going to pray through this book it's it's actually a book that we're going to pray through 21 days of prayer we're going to preach on it every consecutive week but on the 20 it's what's great about January 1st is it's you know it's a Monday and so every Sunday the 7th the 14th and 21st are going to be Sundays that we preach on that prayer and the last day the 21st of January we're going to day of prayer and fasting and we're going to we're going to come, to, not just here on Sunday morning, but we're going to gather here as a church on Sunday night. Because if, if, if God wants us to go after every man and woman and child, what we've got to be doing is listening. We've got to be listening to God. And we've got to be crying out to God to do something like we've never asked Him to do. And so we need God. This vision is, is a vision that needs the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to, that's what we're going to do the beginning of 2024. And then lastly, I'm going to, there's, there's a great opportunity and outreach of opportunity. You know, every year that we've, we've uh, last few years we've had this choir concert and we've packed the house. What we're going to do this year is we're going to have two shows and we're going to ask you to invite people because at the end of, what we saw last year is someone come to know Christ at the end of it. And we're going to give you an opportunity during the month of December to invite your friends and neighbors to come and hear sacred Christmas music. That's a very easy ask, to come into an environment to hear something like that. And that what they will hear is a gospel message. What they will hear is the good news of Jesus. Gives you an opportunity to invite those who are close to you but far from God to hear the good news of Jesus. That's, those are the next four months. What's beyond that? God knows. But we're listening. We're listening. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. As we end our time here this morning... Is your heart stirred? Is your heart stirred for every man, woman, and child? In just a moment, we're going to sing this song. And and I don't know how the Spirit is asking you to respond. But there's some things we need to do. There's some consecration. There's some commitment. There's some prayer that needs to take place in this room. I know typically we do not have a, an invitation where people come forward. But, but if your heart is stirred to pray for our nation, to pray for a family member, to pray for yourself, to pray for your neighbors, to pray for your coworkers, I'm going to just invite you to come up to the front here by one of these crosses and just, just offer your prayer to the Lord for that every person in your life, whatever every God has placed in your heart to pray for, I want to encourage you to do that. Let's lift up our hearts and our minds. Guys, this is an opportunity for us to respond. How will will we buy in to the vision that God has for us? It's his vision, not ours. Father, I pray right now as we come before you to sing this final song that we would be a people consecrated for your name and for your glory. God, set us free. From, from the bondage of the idols, and that, God, we be consecrated for your name and for your mission. God, fill this room with partners and representatives for you where they live, learn, work, and play all across Lake Norman, God, and beyond. We're be praying that, God, you would do a mighty work in us and through us. God, we want to see your power today. We want to see your presence today. Multiply what you're doing in us in this world so that every man, woman, and child in Lake Norman would hear respond to the gospel of Jesus. Do that in us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.